OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes, what's going on? Hilo again, bringing you part three ball theories and executions. Today, we're going to be talking about best ball roster construction. By far the most important concept to get down uh, as you're heading into these drafts and you're doing these drafts. Uh, again, I will be joined by Pavel. We'll bring him in in a second. Uh, one last thing before we continue. I threw out a shout out about two minutes ago. Well, I guess by the time you're listening to it, it'll be about 12 hours ago. Uh, on Twitter about the next article that I will be writing here shortly. And that is titled Range of Tears Drafting. So we know about range of outcomes we know about tiered drafting this is the next level combination of the two where you're taking variants into account of your tiers as well and utilizing that as a tiebreaker so we're going to jump into that uh, in the next article look for that popping here soon without further ado pavel my man what's going on how we doing how we doing it's a good night i just did my first uh, big dog on underdog i feel pretty good about it uh, can't wait to do another one. Gives me that, you know, that rush. So I'm really antsy right now. <laughs> Is it the winner, dude? Oh, I hope so. I mean, all right. Post a screenshot on Twitter. It didn't happen. Oh, it's already on there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. You can check it out at do underscore me underscore favors. It's do me favors, not dome favors. Yeah, honestly, dude. Like for the first probably two years of our online relationship, I thought it was dome favors, and I was like, who this? Who the fuck? this guy (laughs) (laughs) it's hilarious yeah it's an homage to my one of my favorite players for some reason when i was a kid he won me a lot of money DraftKings. Derek favors so do me Mm. favors Derek favors yes 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 very nice all right not don't favors got it uh all right dude let's jump into this man first thing i mean this is such a robust topic you know we could we could jam for three hours we're gonna try and keep this as close to an hour i think as possible uh but we'll see how we do the first thing i really want to talk about when we're talking about best ball roster construction what are your feelings is there an optimal positional breakdown or structure on your team now i know that's a very loose question but i want to talk about that specifically because the most common in an 18 round draft roster construction that you're going to see is two quarterbacks, six running backs, seven wide receivers, and three tight ends. And people generally stick to that loosely and deviate from that. What are your thoughts on that? Are you going in with a you know preconceived plan when you're attacking these drafts or, or how are you viewing this most common uh, roster construction? Yeah. So for me personally, I don't usually draft six running backs because I try to draft running backs earlier. So that's more my strategy. Um, But you want to read the room when you're building your team, right? You don't want to ever go into a draft like this is going to be my strategy because you don't know how the room will play. And especially you want to consider, you know, are you in the beginning of the draft or in the end of the draft? In the end of the draft, you know, you can start running back, running back, and then maybe even go four or five running backs. So You know, it's definitely reading the room all the time, seeing where players are getting pulled, um, who's falling. But for me, my main strat, my uh, optimal structure would be a a two, five, eight, three. And then usually I leave those last two spots for wide receivers. And I want to have my running backs done by like the Madison tier, you know, Devin Singletary, Madison tier. And then 
I'll allocate players, you know, I'll go three quarterbacks, might go late quarterback, you know, if I don't take an elite quarterback, if I don't take elite running backs, I'm definitely probably going to take six running backs, you know, it definitely depends on how I'm building my team throughout the draft. Yeah, and I agree totally with everything you just said. I think my answer to that question is probably that there isn't a right way to construct a roster, but there's so many wrong ways, right? Um, (laughs) People taking an elite quarterback and then taking three quarterbacks, mistake. People taking no elite running backs and then taking four running backs, mistake. People taking less than seven wide receivers a mistake automatically like that you're you're dead (laughs) you're dead like you are the rake in that draft people taking more than three tight ends you're dead like so there's there's not really a right way to construct a roster in best ball but there's so so many wrong ways and we're going to explore a lot of those wrong ways um i think i think it's easiest to teach to what not to do in this scenario um especially for a you know a concept as hard to grasp and you know that it takes time to develop as best ball roster construction so uh i dig it dude anything else to add uh with top level like overview stuff with uh you know your roster as a whole no i'm just ready to start digging into it i got some hot takes sweet love it hot fire fire let's go uh all right next thing i want to talk about is tiered drafting Um, This is something that a lot of people understand that you should be doing in a best ball draft. And even in, you know, even in season long managed leagues, um, people understand and are told and I think hear it enough to where they, they understand that we should be drafting via tiers. But still, when you're in a draft room and you're looking at this list of ADPs in numerical descending order, it goes out the window immediately for a lot of people. Um, so what are your thoughts first on tier drafting? Do you use it? Do you have a cheat sheet? Do you, how do you manage that when you're in a draft? Um, so when I start, and this is like in February, I start with a sheet and, and you know, I'll just download projections. Usually I use like Mike Clay's cause those are really good. So I'll just, you know, create spreadsheets and as moves are going, I'm adjusting and making my own projections. And then, once, you know, the ADP comes out, I compare. But I do so many drafts that I end up getting a feel for it. Um, mm-hmm. At first, obviously, I'm using the cheat sheet to identify, like, ADP gaps. That's the biggest thing is to see who's super undervalued. And then, obviously, Underdog is so quick to adjust to ADPs. You Those pockets form themselves. And tier drafting is really important. Uh, I've mentioned this on the pod last time, you know, Todd always says never drop a tier. Like, and that I pretty much believe in that because you're giving up a lot of points and a lot of value. And when we're drafting against so many people, you know, every point really kind of counts for you. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And best ball is so finicky where one mistake, like literally 18 round draft, one mistake could be the difference between, you know, you advancing, you winning a confined league, yada, 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 and so on. Um, so that is why, I mean, that kind of highlights the importance of roster construction. Um, and the reason that, doubling back to this tiered drafting concept, the reason that we want to draft via a, you know, a tiered model as opposed to strict ADP is, has to do with variance. And that's why I kind of led this episode by talking about um, like variance in tiers and utilizing range of tier drafting because 
naturally players congregate into tiers based on mean projections, right? So as these players are grouped together, um, you know, you have your without getting into like positional by positional, we can talk about running backs like CMC tier one, like he is the tier one. Tier two, now you're talking about Dalvin Cook, you're talking about Kamara, you're talking about Aaron Jones, or however you have them ranked, right? And down the list. These players are naturally grouped into tiers based on their mean projection for the season. When you introduce variance into that, there's the possibility, right, that players could change tiers. And that's what I mean by uh, variance in tiers and utilizing a range of tier drafting. And I'm gonna, I'm not gonna hammer down on that much here because um, I'm gonna really, really dig into the weeds in on that specific subject in the next article that I'm releasing. Uh, but I wanted to kind of throw that out there into the multiverse and and get people thinking about it before we really go into an in-depth discussion. Um, yeah, utilize tiers. It's really hard to do if you are not experienced at it when you're actually faced, you know, sitting in a draft room and you're faced with this descending order list of ADPs. You're like, oh, that guy's a value. I hear that. And the 30-second clock is running too. Exactly. You know, that's... That this is value season. You you hear value. Oh, that guy's a value at ADP. Oh, that guy uh, is likely to provide value or return value at ADP. Yes and no. Like the answer is, uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> will he? Will a you know a running back that you take in the fifth round? Will he beat the other running backs in the fifth round? Like maybe, but does it matter? Like, should that be where your focus is in the fifth round? There's a lot of a lot to unpack there. And it, it takes a little bit of a longer time and some experience to really, really grasp the concepts, um, the higher level concepts in best ball. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here, unpack these different concepts uh, piece by piece. So utilize tiers, practice it, like start with the low dollar stuff, start with a confined league, um, you know, a, a dollar, two dollar, three dollar league. Um, and really like, I would print, like get a, analyst or somebody they really trust print out their tiers or go to wherever you get your your best ball content go to fantasy pros consensus i i don't like them at all but uh go to fantasy pros consensus rankings and, and pull up the tier tab print that out and literally like as selections are being made like cross dudes off on tiers and that'll like condition you to be thinking about it when the clock is ticking down and you are staring at a list of adps so uh again Tiers has to do with variance, taking that one step further, the uh, further variance in tiers uh, with the range of tiers drafting. Anything to add there? I know I kind of just went on and on. Uh, I'm super amped about this. No, I'm definitely going to touch on tiers when we get into the individual positions because uh, tiers is something big to consider when you're building a roster. Yeah, man, for sure. All right. Now let's talk about the different... Uh, the different scoring formats that are out there. How are we, are you, I guess, adjusting on the fly in half PPR versus full PPR versus tight end premium versus a site with bonuses like DraftKings? Are you, uh, have you gotten to the point where that's just kind of second nature where you're moving guys up and down um, 
based on the different scoring? Because I know you're bouncing around, you know, drafting on all these different formats, even within the same day. So how are you <laughs> handling that? Um, do you have separate cheat sheets or is that just something that comes natural to you? And what would you recommend uh, listeners do? Uh, to adjust scoring. Yeah, so I keep a spreadsheet. So I have a tab half PPR. I have a tab full PPR. I have a tab tight end premium. And then I have, you know, like a couple data sheets and stuff. And then so now I, like I said, I'm pretty much memorized and like I know where all the pockets are and all the sites, you know, so I can kind of build around that. And especially the biggest thing really when you're considering uh, drafting on different sites is that half PPR versus full PPR. That really makes a difference when it comes to wide receivers and value of running backs. So in half PPR, elite running backs are the best. Like, that's what you really want. It's half PPR, right? Uh, Tyreek Hill, or not even Tyreek Hill, bad example. Uh, Diggs can have like a, a 10-55 game, which is a pretty good PPR game, but he's only getting you 10 points in full PPR, in half PPR. So I'm trying to load up more on running backs in half PPR, and full PPR is different. You know, the upside is massive for some of these guys, like a digs early, you know, um, especially in DK where you're getting that bonus. Um, and then lastly, you know, Titan premium, which is just like a different game in of itself where it's PPR. And then you have the half uh, 1.5 per catch for tight ends on FFPC. And that just, you know, makes every draft crazy because you never know where the tight ends are going to fly. Um, and you see Kelsey going, you know, usually even two, three sometimes. And that's, you know, pretty crazy, but he, that extra bonus is really big. Yeah, for sure. Um, I like that you said that you have different cheat sheets for each format because that is huge. And because the reason that you create tiers and that you create cheat sheets, well, I guess the the method of creating it is you're utilizing the scoring format to create those tiers. There's obviously guys who are going to be uh, we'll talk about the highest variance position in wide receiver. Um, there's obviously going to be guys that are better suited to half PPR. You know, these um, not necessarily like yardage and touchdown guys, but these guys that uh, like, you know, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, these guys who are the deep threats, the guys who can take, you know, a couple, you know, a handful of targets, five, four, five, six targets and turn them into 20 points in half PPR by going, you know, four for 110 and a touchdown so definite um definite variance in the tiers when you when you're looking at the scoring format that you're utilizing i want to talk real quick about tight end premium because it 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 introduces a, a definite like intricacy to the format that i don't think a lot of people truly comprehend um because I mean, the whole reason for tight end premium um, came about because of positional scarcity. And that's something we're really going to talk about here in a little bit as well. But positional scarcity, meaning that the, the, the gap in tiers is much wider than at other positions. So we talk about like running backs, like tiers one, two, and three, the expected fantasy output per game or the, the expected points that you can expect from those players in respective tiers per game is much closer together, much smaller than if you're playing tight end premium, comparing it to the tight end position. You know, tier one tight ends, you got Travis Kelce, you have, depending on who you ask, George Kittle and Waller is pretty much around the industry's tier one, right? Well, you start looking at tier two and now you're into, you like whatever your tier two is, but there's a massive drop off from tier one to tier two in the tight end position. 
Yeah, that do is, I want Kelsey Waller or do I want Pitts or, you know, Mark Andrews? You know, it's yeah, a big difference. And it's amplified by the format. So it's amplified by tight end premium. And that's why you're seeing Travis Kelsey go first overall, going third overall. Um, I keep saying Kelsey, Kelsey, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. I don't care, shh, whatever. Anyway, I digress. That is why the scoring format that you're playing in is so important because it affects the distance between tiers at separate positions in half PPR versus full PPR. It's going to affect running backs and wide receivers heavily and a tight end premium. Obviously it's going to affect tight ends when you're talking about the bonuses, like, uh, like on DraftKings. Now these yardage and touchdown guys or, um, gain a little bit of steam because if they hit that bonus, they are now getting half a touchdown basically. So, you know, a guy could, go for four receptions, uh, 100 yards, and a touchdown. And now you're looking at 23 fantasy points from, you know, five targets. So these guys take on a little bit more. Um, and you can see moving from just, for example, half PPR to DraftKings, getting these bonuses, you can see how players can start to move tiers. And that's why knowing your scoring, knowing your format, and uh, adjusting your tiers accordingly is so important. And one more thing, too, that doesn't get talked about is know what websites is four points for a touchdown and six points for a touchdown for your quarterback. Because that's one thing I notice when I'm you know playing around with my models is my quarterback rankings definitely change based on that. So how do, how do your rankings, or who does that benefit or hurt? Tom Brady. <laughs> right? Okay, so, yeah, moving, <laughs> moving from four point per passing touchdown, which is the industry standard uh, to six point passing per touchdown. What that does is it brings together the, uh, or it lessens the emphasis on rushing upside in your quarterback. So, you know, guys like Lamar Jackson, who probably consensus quarterback two, three, four in that range, uh, definite tier one quarterback. He's going to be in the same tier in six point pass per passing touchdown as Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady is, or Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And these guys who are projected for, you know, close to or passing 40 passing touchdowns. Um, so it's, again, definite. You need to get in the books and, and learn the, the full scoring format and the roster composition and all that stuff of whatever site you're playing on before you can really start talking about this other stuff, these tiers, these other uh, game theory, all these other high-level kind of uh, strategies and, and con- concepts that we really are trying to hammer down here. Good point, dude. Love it. Anything else to add on adjusting for scoring? No, just definitely don't forget about it. All right, love it. Next thing we're going to talk about is roster depth. So 18 uh, roster positions versus 20 versus more. Sometimes, you know, we talked about the NFFC where some of those drafts are 35 rounds. Um, how does that affect uh, how you approach a draft? For me, I usually still keep my same strategy through 18, but I'm just using those two last two sh- shots to improve my roster where I'm weak. You know, if my quarterbacks suck, hopefully Jared Goff's there still. Or if, you know, my running backs are bad, I can probably take like Damian Williams, Daryl Williams, or even take like a shot in Gallman. But I'm mostly trying to take, you know, extra wide receivers because. Uh, DraftKings is a 20 round, Drafters is 20 round, and both those are PPR. So, like, I was, I'm getting, well, I don't, I haven't done Drafters or DraftKings for a while, but I was getting Adam Humphreys in the 19th, 20th round all offseason. And 
that's just easy money, right? I'm going to get at least four or five games of 15 points because he's a PPR monster, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So you can definitely take more, you know, shots along the way too in a 20-man draft. So if there is, like, you can reach a little more in a 20-man draft because you can make it up later, right? Because you have those extra rounds. Um, Personally, I like the 20 rounds more because I can get more players. <laughs> and I love taking early running backs, so I'm trying to get more late wide receivers and get that, I, you know, capitalize on that variance of wide receivers. Um, so that's why I like 20 rounds, but I, I do most of my drafting on underdog because their interfaces, you know, so nice. Yeah. And this is an interesting uh, concept that I think has some bleed over from DFS. We talk about variance um, and moving from slate sizes, right? The smaller the slate, the more variance there is, you know, all the way down or all the way up from like when it's week 17 and and you have all, you know, a 13 game slate uh, all the way down to a showdown. The 13 game slate, there's going to be less variance, obviously, than that single game showdown. Looking at it from a roster, roster depth perspective, the smaller the roster, the higher the intrinsic variance. The larger the roster you get, you know, all the way up to 35 on NFFC, the less variance there is from your roster as a whole. So what people do, are doing in these large field contests is they're applying the same principles from DFS to best ball tournaments. And they are accepting more variance in the smaller rosters the 18 man rosters and they're accepting less variance in the you know 20 35 man rosters a little bit of game theory here i'm trying to flip that on its head so i'm trying to the 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 more spots that are on my roster so the the more um rounds in the draft i'm looking to increase my variance on my roster to leverage the field and do something that is different. And that is not taking shots on zero running back. That's not trying to, you know, change my tiers around. That's not trying to make mistakes or, or draft tendencies that tend to lead to mistakes. That is just taking the draft as it comes and accepting more variance as I fill out my roster. What I mean by that is this. Basically, it comes down to the quarterback position, the tight end position, and the wide receiver position for me when I have a larger roster to work with. How, how I do that, basically, at the quarterback position, we're going to talk about um, some mistakes that I think are made at the quarterback position a little bit later. But I'm still, I would be more inclined to still only take two quarterbacks if it's a 20-man roster or even higher. And I think one of the biggest mistakes you see when you start getting into 20 or more roster spots is people are looking to shore up the lowest variance positions at running back and wide receiver. I mean, sorry, at running back and quarterback. And we should be looking at the highest variance positions, wide receiver and tight end. So that's where I'm going to allocate my extra members. Uh, You can call it extra members. The extra rounds, the extra roster spots that I have, I'm going to allocate it to the highest variance positions, wide receiver and tight end. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so yeah, that's going to lead to some highly imbalanced lineups, uh, or people might perceive them to be highly imbalanced because I'll still show up or leave a draft room with two quarterbacks, 
five running backs and now I have like 11 wide receivers and like three tight ends, something like that. Uh, I don't know if that math checks out. <laughs> Somebody run that. But in general, <laughs> yeah, but generally it makes sense. But yeah, I, people have figured out rushing quarterbacks is the king. Like that's how you win, right? And there's so many good rushing quarterbacks with, you know, throwing upside now that's pushed them up higher. So that's why I like to, you know, take one of the guys that, you know, fall a couple spots past ADP, like a Kyler. And then I can take, you know, a Fitzpatrick, perfect QB2. I'm great with that room. Or if I want to get really risky, because if I'm playing a tournament, I'll take, you know, Kyler with Lance or Fields. And then since yeah. Kyler has that week 12 bye, I'm assuming he's going to get me to there. And by then, hopefully Lance or Fields isn't playing and I have two QB beasts. Yeah, exactly. I was going to save that till we got to the positionals, but that is a great point to bring up. And that is, again, manipulating variance. These rookie quarterbacks who, you know, we don't know if they're going to start when we're drafting at the beginning of the season. We don't know if they're going to take over at all. We don't know uh, what the quarterback situation in Philadelphia is going to be. There's a lot of these unknowns that we can look to leverage. And a majority of the field is going to be looking to manage the variance there. So rosters that take a rookie quarterback, they're going to load up with three quarterbacks. Well, if you if you are taking that quarterback, you're betting on him starting a majority of the season. So there's no reason to hedge that bet with a third quarterback. You keep two quarterbacks on rosters that take these, you know, leverage quarterbacks and you it allows you to strengthen the rest of your roster. If Trey Lance doesn't start three quarters of the year, if, you know, some of these guys who were taking, um, you know, if Justin Fields doesn't start three quarters of the year, that roster is dead. But you manage that from a portfolio sense. So you accept higher variance on individual rosters. And then you just don't do that in every draft uh, in, across your entire portfolio. So that gives that individual roster higher variance, but you're still managing the variance overall. And we want to look at our, our portfolio of drafts as our means of managing the variance because we want to accept variance in individual drafts because that's how we win. We want to, you know, capture those 1% outcomes, those top 5% outcomes. We, we need those to beat a field of 6,000, 120,000 on DraftKings, you know, like these massive field contests, you're going to need a little bit of variance on your side. And that's how, uh, or one of the ways that I like to leverage the variance there at the quarterback position. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm maxing these contests, right? I really just want one. <laughs> I don't, you know, obviously that's I all want you need, baby. as many teams to make the playoffs, right? That's like, Obviously, the goal, once I get there, I'll be super hyped, you know, whatever. But honestly, I just want one team because that's all I need is one team to get me there to win exactly. it for me. So that's why I'm, yeah, go ahead. We are literally still just throwing shit at a wall. We are just adding a little bit of sticky stuff to our shit that we're throwing at the wall because <laughs> we're doing that by understanding these concepts, understanding basic draft strategy, under applying game theory, managing leverance, fair, or managing variance, leverage, all that good stuff. We're adding a little bit of extra sticky stuff to it, the crap that we're throwing at the wall, but we're still just looking for that one piece to stick. And the way that we do that, obviously, we're not going to make mistakes in individual drafts. We're just going to manage our portfolio as we go. Yeah. So we Let's keep. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, like, right. perfectly put. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right, we talked about roster depth. Uh, we talked a little bit about positional scarcity. Um, 
the big things here with positional scarcity is it's often, uh, or I guess it's, it's rarely talked about. And when it is, it's misunderstood. Um, and what I mean by that is this, the tight end position, is that high positional scarcity or low positional scarcity? Well, I think of positional scarcity a couple ways. So like for tight end, I don't think tight end is scarce, but I think in tiers it's scarce, right? You only have those really good top tier. Well, that's the, that's the point. That's it. Yeah. That's positional scarcity. Yeah. And uh, I'm fading the middle tier because, you know, I don't really think they have that number one upside. And then if, you know, I'm taking shots on the late tight ends because I think they project pretty well. And, I mean, like, for example, Jared Cook should not be going that late. Like, this guy's a proven player with Justin Herbert, you know? Like, there's, no, but dude, you can Donald, identify great Par- values. Parham is going to get additional looks, dude. No, I wouldn't take him. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to pull up a, a Donald Parham tweet tonight, similar to my <laughs> Samaji Perrine one from recently. Yeah, dude. Uh, but the the point is positional scarcity, it, it, should, it should be fairly evident when you look at your tiers. How big are the tiers? How big is the tier gap? How big is... You know, how big is the move from tier one to tier two in at the running back position compared to the tight end position or the wide receiver position? You know, the and that also plays into variance, which we're going to talk about here shortly as well. Um, But that's going to lead into the next thing I want to talk about, which is knowing the roster requirements of of, you know, how many players have to start. do I have to start two wide receivers or do I have to start three wide receivers weekly? Do, um, how many flex positions do I have to fill? Typically across the industry standard is one quarterback. So that really doesn't affect us too much. Um, until we start seeing super flex best ball, which I I've been pushing for. Oh my wait. God, we need it. <laughs> Damn it. We need it. Can you imagine the fish <laughs> swimming through that one? Oh, oh God. Anyway, we digress, but that hopefully is coming uh, because we need that. The The edge in Superflex best ball would be massive. Uh, we need a super puppy. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, cool. I lost my train of thought. Oh, know your positional requirements because that is also going to affect your tiers. If you're in a contest where you have to start three wide receivers, that's going to affect the variance of the wide receiver position. That's going to increase the variance of the wide receiver position. A site where you only need to start two wide receivers is going to decrease the highest variance position. Um, so knowing that also allows you to build a overall strategy of how you're going to attack uh, different drafts on different um, sites. Yeah, and even the you know positional you know three wide receivers or two wide receivers are starting affects your roster construction too, right? And a three wide receiver, you most likely want to get at least a one good wide receiver, right? And two, you can maybe get away with it by, you know, doing the volume approach. So, you know, there's, def- there's definitely different factors to consider every time you're ma- building. Yeah, and I would say that majority of the field is going to look to wait on wide receiver longer in two wide receiver, uh, start two wide receiver formats. Yeah. And again, you know, utilizing a little game theory here, I'm going to be inclined to take wide receivers earlier. Um even though they are falling, that's going to just give you some differentiation a little bit there. 
uh, that's, I think, enough on that. you have anything else to add on positional scarcity? Yeah, so in positional scarcity, we talked about how wide receiver is deep. Early wide receiver is not deep on underdog most of the time. So if you have a ship-chasing draft, you're going to be reaching for wide receivers, and you need to, you know, plan to know. So, like, if you're – here's the best way to know if this is going to happen to you. If Devontae Adams and, like, Ridley – if Devontae Adams goes in the top six picks or Hill does, you're most likely in a ship-chasing draft. So you're going to want to, you know – Get that elite running back and then make sure you're not falling behind too bad at wide receiver and then take that volume approach and build some stacks in your team to, you know, get that wide receiver to volume four from those guys. For the listeners, what do you mean by a ship chasing draft? Uh, so there's an excellent Wednesday podcast. I never miss it. It's Pete Overzet, uh, Pat Curran, really some really good, you know, players. Ben Gretsch is on there from Stealing Bananas, Eric Beinford. I'm not sure where he's from, but they all do, you know, drafts every Wednesday night. So I got into a, a big dog with them today and they're very, very big proponents of the zero running back uh, strategy. And a couple weeks ago, they did a podcast and it just went bananas. You know, they everyone just starts taking all the wide receivers. And now that's been kind of the the norm where wide receivers just have are, you know, flying off the board early and, you know, Makes a new layer of the game to, you know, to play because definitely pushes down those mid-tier running backs. So, you know, in short, just a quick way to attack it, you know, I like to take one, two running backs early. Like today I had started with the two with Cook. Nick Chubb fell to me. Okay, I'll take you. Um, and then Joe Mixon fell to me. Come on down. Um, then I took Deontay and Claypool. And then, you know, I just filled out my team with, you know, whatever value I was able to get. And, you know, there's good ways to attack these types of uh, rosters and you know there's really really good breakout wide receivers from three to seven eight but we'll talk about that in a moment yeah so by saying a ship chasing draft you're saying influencers are influencing right absolutely <laughs> okay cool cool uh I'll, i shall refer to them as influencers uh you can refer to them however you would like uh, i love the name it's such a great name <laughs> it, it is, it is. <laughs> hey are you gonna pay to draft with them dude pardon are you going to pay to draft with them? <laughs> I mean, I paid 250 to do the big dog today. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was a poor no, joke. I know, I know, I know. I just wanted to sidestep that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, zinga. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about variance by position. Um, we've, we've alluded to it a little bit, but the in descent or in increasing order, running backs are going to be your lowest variance position, followed by quarterbacks followed by tight ends and followed by wide receivers. Now that is not, um, that is not tier gaps. We talked about that tier gaps, uh, obviously tight ends are the greatest. So that's going to influence, you know, how early am I taking tight ends primarily in tight end premium. Um, but we're talking about variance by position. How, how does, or how, how high of a weekly floor can we expect position to position? Uh, it's going to be higher for running backs, so lower variance, followed by quarterbacks and down the list like we talked about. Um, how is that going to affect how, you know, your overall macro draft strategy? What are you thinking when when analyzing variance by position? Yeah. Um, for running back, obviously, I want to capitalize on that. So I want to go running back early. Uh, quarterback, you know, I want to build... A high floor team right so if I take you know like a Jalen Hurts who's super risky kind of guy right I want to build that out with you know 
guys that have a floor, a safe floor, like Kirk Cousins, pretty good way to pair with him. And then I would like, maybe like a Fitzpatrick, you know, guys that will have those boom weeks. And, you know, Hertz could have those, you know, if you're drafting him as your number one, I think he's kind of scary as a number one as a standalone. So then you can, you know, build that floor and, you know, that's how you kind of reduce the variance. Tight end is, you know, is pretty much after the top guys, it's tight end or bust, right? And that's pretty, pretty high variance, you know, are they going to get a a touchdown or a bust? Um, And then wide receiver, obviously, we've touched on already. We're trying to capitalize on that variance of the most variant position. Yeah, so I actually, um, I actually attack this from a different lens and how I choose to manage that variance or, you know, manage and leverage that variance is by looking at my portfolio as a whole. So again, you know, people who are taking the rookie quarterbacks or, uh, you know, the uncertainty surrounding the Philadelphia quarterback position, people who are taking these stabs are doing it most likely on three quarterback teams. So that's going to affect obviously their floor and ceiling at other positions, how they handle the rest of the breakout, you know, can vary. A lot of the times you're going to see three quarterback, two tight end teams. So they're not looking to sacrifice at the running back and wide receiver position. How I choose to handle this kind of, conundrum of uncertainty at a low variance position is I'm going to increase the variance. Yes, I hear what people are thinking. Then why don't you like zero running back? Because that is increasing the variance at a low variance position. Um, And that just takes it to an extreme. You're accepting too much variance by really looking to go zero running back. And what I mean by that is this. Basically, if Across the entire NFL, there's maybe four, five, maybe six running backs who, if there were an injury ahead of them, would step into a robust role and who would be, you know, call it what you will, who would be that every down back or the bell cow back or whatever you want to call it, basically provide enough volume to matter. These other guys their floor and ceiling isn't affected much by if there's an injury ahead of them. You know, the James Whites, the these pass-catching backs who have, you know, a 8 to 12-point weekly floor just based on receptions. But if there's an injury ahead of them, that's not going to shift. That's not going to move their ceiling very much. So what running backs are those? Those are, you know, your Darrington Evans, your Latavius Murray, your... Um, uh, Alexander Madison. Madison. Yeah. So these these running backs who, if there were an injury ahead of them, we know that they would step into a massive role, right? So there's maybe there's maybe four, five, six, maybe of those in the league. So I mean, if you were to execute a zero running back roster to perfection, and you are again just increasing the variance of your running back position, you would take no running back until those guys that I just mentioned, and yeah. you know. Jumping back to the the first uh, Millie on over there on Underdog or the first puppy, you know, taking Darrell Henderson, you know, if that one did work out. But if you were executing zero running back to perfection, you would have a roster of those three names we listed, plus Darrell Henderson, plus, you know, whoever the, the other. Connor maybe, Dillon, boom. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the other one or two guys, right? So that would be like 
zero running back executed to perfection because you are looking to increase the variance at the position. What are guys doing in practice? They are taking one elite running back and calling it modified zero running back and then taking James White and these guys who would not have ceiling, weekly ceiling, if there were an injury ahead of them. And yeah. so now what you're doing is you're, 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 you're saying that I will win and I will advance with one and a half running backs for the entire year. And that just will not happen. Yeah, this is ever since the four running back build got pumped up, uh, you'll see some crazy stuff. Like you'll see Eckler, James White, or no, Eckler, Damian Harris, Madison. Or no, not even Madison. So you'll have Eckler, Damian Harris, uh, Bernard, and James White. That's their four. Like, yeah, exactly. You can't and do then, that. <laughs> and then there will be a screenshot and they'll say, I just won. It's like, no, bro, you, you have... 1.25 running backs for the entire year with zero chance to have two full running backs. And what they'll say is, I'm punting running back too, but this is an 18-man roster. You can't punt anywhere. Anything. Every position matters and every point every week matters. Like, that's that's what best ball is. Like, everything matters. So, if you are doing that, if you're going to do zero running back, take the guys who have the chance to increase their ceiling because that is all that would matter by increasing the variance of the position. If you're going to do modified, if you're going to take one stud and then take a smattering of, of shots across the board again, seeing what sticks on the wall, take the guys with the highest upside because that is all that matters. You are not trying to manage variance at the, at, on that roster anymore because you have already increased the variance. So if you're increasing the variance and then trying to manage it, you're doing nothing. So go all in, do it right, try and build it with upside in mind, and then don't do it for the next three drafts. You know, force yourself to move away from that so you're managing your portfolio. Same thing with the quarterback discussion. You know, if you're taking, if I'm taking Trey Lance, Justin Fields, if I'm taking, you know, these guys who have massive upside with a lot of uncertainty, I'm accepting that uncertainty at a low variance position by only taking two quarterbacks because every other roster that's going to be in these large field contests with Trey Lance, Justin Fields, all with all these guys is going to have three quarterbacks trying to increase variance and manage it at the same time. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to like cover yourself and get there. Exactly. So if you're going to leverage variance, go for it. Just do it less on the next time. Force yourself to not do zero running back. Force yourself to not take Trey Field or Trey Lance or Justin Fields on the next like three or four drafts. So that's how you would manage the variance. On the individual roster, you're leveraging the shit out of it. You're going for it. You're doing it. So do it. Don't don't half-ass it. Don't try and leverage and manage variance at the same time. That was a lot, dude. Uh, you yeah. with me? <laughs> yeah, I actually have a couple points on running back if we just jump back yeah, yeah, real quick. Yeah, yeah, get it, dude. Um, and actually, one more funny thing, too. Like, we're talking about the quarterback thing. I actually have been doing something that's, like, really been fun for me. I've been playing on this, like, one site we didn't talk about. It's called RTS Sports. They do, like, 10-man, yeah. uh, 24-round drafts with two with kicker and defense. And their ADP's broken. And Lance and Fields are, like, under everyone. So what I've been doing on there is, like, I'll take Dak... Lamar Jackson, any of those top guys, and I'm taking Fields and Lance too. So like, it's kind of a risky strategy, but I, I kind of really like it because if one of those guys pops, like I got such 
like cheap, cheap elite quarterbacks. So yeah, uh, it's just something of fun to I wanted to mention. But going back to running back, you know, the sweet spot for running back is you know five running backs for me. And when you're looking at building running backs, you really want to look at it, you know, holistically, right? You don't want to just be like, oh, I got one stud like Aaron Jones. I'm good, yeah. you know. I can take Damian Harris and then you know punt the rest of the way. How I approach it is, I want to get two three guys that have, you know, elite workload upside. Like, if I'm in the end of the draft, like, my dream start is, like, Eckler, Aaron Jones, and then Dobbins. Because all three of those guys have workloads. They're going to get, you know, high floors, high upside kind of guys. And then I'll wait. I'll build out, you know, my tight ends. I like to get that elite tight end, and I'm pounding wide receiver. And then when I'm taking that sec, my fourth, fifth running back, where I want that upside guy, like a Kenyon Drake, you know. But he also has a floor, too. Um, Madison is like we just talked about, you know, Latavius Murray getting that tier is my four or five is awesome because, you know, if the guy ahead of them gets hurt, I have another player for really cheap that can, you know, fill out my flex or, you know, be an elite player. And it's always great to have more elite players than not at the end of the season. Yeah, dude. And that, that actually brought up a, a point I wanted to talk about as well. Um, so say per your example, you know, dream start from like the 9, 10, 11 spot, Eckler, um, Aaron, Jones. Aaron Jones and and Dobbins. Dobbins at three four yeah so are you trying to replicate that dream start if you you know it falls to you again and again and again or are you trying to manage your portfolio of drafts from the late positions and alter how you're attacking individual drafts so for the first two rounds I want to be like around 10 to 15 percent on Gibson, Eckler, Aaron Jones, Saquon in the second round. I want as much of him as possible. So early, I'm trying to manage my exposure. I don't want to get too crazy. I want exposure to everyone. So I want at least like six to eight percent, almost be even to the field, even on guys I don't like, because you never know when you're going to be wrong. Um, when it comes to that three floor, I actually never take Swift. I never take Dobbins in the third round. I actually manage my portfolio by only taking them when they fall to me in the third fourth round so all those people taking them in the third round you know i'm getting that leverage on top of them because every third fourth fifth draft i'm gonna get dobbins in the fourth round swift in the fourth round miles sanders in the fifth round demo in the fifth round like i I don't have to reach for those guys i just let it come to me so if all those running guys got taken i'm just gonna you know take robert woods and cooper cup and try to build that stack or take uh mike evans and chris godwin right there at the three four and try to build that stack so i I definitely pivot a lot and i try to you know react to the adp as it falls to me i absolutely love it dude that was the most perfect answer i love you you're the best (laughs) uh cool that covers that anything else to add there no, that's pretty much running back. And I like, and lastly, actually, I don't like the last running backs I'm really trying to take is James White and Gio Bernard if like I'm stuck, you know, or if I have four really decent ones and something like that. But I'm trying to end running back by the time like Madison's off the board. Yeah, I am not taking those guys at all because of the ceiling discussion we talked about. Like, I don't, I don't think that I, you know, I'm trying to build rosters to where I don't need eight points. And exactly. I'm feeling I'm feeling good about it at the running back position ever. Uh, and, you know, these guys, like, might they spike for a 20-point game, like, get him into the end zone twice on, on five receptions, something like that? Like, maybe, like, it could happen. But are you happy with one spike week in the season from, you know, a, a smattering 
of four of these guys. So you're getting like four, five of these 20 point weeks out of a, you know, 14 week sample size. I'm not personally. Yeah. And, and that's, that's just. The... Sorry to cut you off, but no, that's the problem I have with like the zero RB strategy because those late guys you're getting, like Perrine, Damian Williams, they're not going to give you that. We're going to a playoff format, right? They're not going to give you those huge weeks for three straight weeks. Who gives you those huge weeks for three straight weeks? It's the elite guys. Uh, our friend Ryan Barlow, he did a, uh, a, a look back on the Millie Maker winners last year. I think it was only one team or zero teams made, zero RB teams made the final. So it's pretty telling. Yeah. Because you're, you're having to repeat, you know, through three, four different, you know, rounds of the playoffs. Three GPPs, like we everyone keeps saying, but like, how are you going to win three GPPs getting sixes from your running backs? Yeah, exactly. So the point of this is not to just hammer how shitty we think zero running back is, <laughs> but that's kind of what it's turning into. Uh, we're trying to just highlight the reasoning why we've yeah, these conclusions. Exactly. And we're, cause that's what all the content that's being pu- pumped out now is. So we just want you to think through both sides of the argument and just see the other perspective for it. I mean, I drive zero RB teams all the time. You have to, you know, it's, you want to build a portfolio, but there is a right way to do it. Exactly. And, Again, like kind of, I don't want to hammer this too much, but, you know, sticking to what we're about at OWS and and what we're trying to do and accomplish. And we're, we don't want to just be like, Hey, these draft, these guys do this. No, man. We're trying to like condition. Why are we doing it this way? Exactly. The why we don't want you to push the buttons. We want you to understand the process and the logic of why I'm doing it this way. Exactly. And think about these things and higher level thinking within a draft when you have 30 seconds to react uh yeah anyway enough on that i love it dude let's keep going um we quarterback about... i think we touched on pretty well i mean you really yeah we really we touched on running back and quarterback uh pretty well here i think i am good to go oh last thing i'll say uh about quarterback one of the biggest mistakes i you can make is taking more than three quarterbacks ever oh. like even if there's a fire do not take more than three quarterbacks just don't do it um same with the tight end position just don't ever take more than three uh that's all i wanted to add to the quarterback position yeah and one just small pivot or one last comment on uh quarterback especially since now like my strategy of taking an early guy and going to it's not unique like everyone's doing that but a lot of many years every year their strategy so that's another thing i've been trying to do is because no one's really doing it i'll take like Derek carr ben and Sam Darnold, if I have, like, I try to build stacks around those guys because they have a lot of cheap ADP guys, so you can kind of do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, you know, I don't hate, you know, taking three, you know, later quarterbacks and, you know, building that way and having everything else on your roster. But if you're going to do that, you want to make sure that your running backs, your tight ends, and your wide receivers are very strong, you know? You don't want to have yeah. gaps in your roster when you're, like, when you're fading a position. Yeah, I, I love it, too. And I wouldn't call it even fading. I would just call it increasing your variance because that's yeah. what you're doing. You're just, inc- you're, you're just increasing your variance at, at a low variance position. Um, love it. Let's move to tight end. Are you ever going to take more than three tight ends? I want to hear you say it. Never. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. Even if there's a fire? Even if there's a fire. Actually, I think I did on drafters once because my tight ends are so bad. Uh, but yeah, not usually something I'll ever do. <laughs> Why are we never taking more than three quarterbacks or tight ends? 
I mean, you're just capping yourself. You're, you're that position can go to a more important position. That's as simply as I see it. They are the two least important positions from a an expected fantasy yeah, it, output. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because definitely for quarterback, it's because they the quarterback tiers are so closely grouped together. For tight end, it's because they are so far apart. So if you're missing out on the early tight ends, the first tier, I'm waiting until tier four or five and taking two or three from that tier. Uh, because... Once you leave tier one, the rest of the tiers are so closely uh, compact. So that yeah. is the why why we're never taking more than three, uh, because it's flatter scoring. For tight end, obviously, there's a huge tier gap after tier one. After tier one, much flatter scoring. And, that's, total uh, sense. and that's just from like a, a week to week, you know, a, a from the sample size of a single game. Um, and you're repeating the sample size of a single game 17 times or however many, however long the contest is. Uh, anything to add at tight end, dude? Uh, yeah. Really- I, uh, I love early tight end, obviously. Um, I wait. If I miss those guys, I usually wait till like the 10th round to get my first one. Love that like Lant, uh, Noah Fance, Logan Thomas tier right there, Tunyon. Those three guys, you know, can put up, you know, pretty good scores for you. And then, you know, just wait. You have, you know, Gronk later. You have Jared Cook later. Ferkser. Ebron is... Ebron is the, the weirdest ADP for me. The, people think, you know, a rookie is going to really take his role. No. I don't, I don't <laughs> see that. <laughs> it's, uh, Pat, if, if we're worried about Pitts, you know, and I'm not really too worried about Pat Freiermuth right now, but Ebron, you know, he's a solid guy. And even Hayden Hurst is a super deep late guy. You know, tight end is really deep towards the late end. And if you, you know, don't get that early one, just get three and, you know, hope you can, you know, piece together good and tight end one scores. Because, I mean, the line to get a tight end one score last year was like seven points, I think. <laughs> yeah. What I want to highlight with the, the, the names that you dropped there is those are touchdown or bust tight ends. When you start getting into this later tier, the way that I'm accepting additional variants or leveraging variants at the at a flat position is I'm targeting these guys that we're expecting to score touchdowns. Uh, Hayden Hurst is one. Um, Robert Tanya, perfect example, like you talked about. Jared Cook, who is at uh, at the Chargers, who we don't expect to have a heavy between the twenties role, but he's going to have a massive red zone role. Um, that offense was built around targeting tight ends in the in the red zone, yeah. so. Um, He's going to have a massive red zone role. So um, the other one was Ebron. So those, you know, these guys who are considered touchdown or bust guys, I'm taking like three out of that tier if I am waiting at the tight end position. And again, I'm accepting the variance that comes with a guy who's going to score four points if he doesn't get in the end zone. But I'm taking three of these guys and I'm hoping to piece together uh, scores throughout the season that way. And you can... Uh, and you can like capitalize, you know, what we talked about last time. Stack those guys up with your quarterback. You know, if you drafted Ben or you know you're going to draft Ben, get Ebron in there. You know, ma- get that, maximize on that boom of that touchdown. Because when Ebron's getting that touchdown, Big Ben's probably getting that, tu- is getting that touchdown as well. That is, I love that you said that because that is one of also one of my favorite ways that I forgot to talk about on the last pod. Um, Me too, with, yeah. With stacking. I know, right, dude? Oh, God, looking back. Anyway, we're, uh, we're making up for our transgressions stacking a quarterback and a tight end when it's a non-elite tight end 
is the penultimate way to attack these this tier of touchdown or bust tight ends. You know, pairing them because obviously the only way that your tight end is putting up a usable score is if they get in the end zone. So now you're double dipping on them getting in the end zone. So I love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, dude, because I had forgotten about it. And one last thing for tight end. If you draft George Kittle, if you draft Kelsey, if you draft Waller, don't go drafting like Mark Andrews with them. Wait till the end. Grab one of these touchdown or bust guys like Cook, Berkser, and that's what you want to pair with them. Because I think Kelsey had starting weeks 15 out of 16 weeks last year. What do you need this other tight end for? Yep. Concur. Um, I actually experimented with this back when draft was, uh, was a thing. Like, I don't know, four years ago, whenever that was. Um, and it was the year where it was like Gronk, Kelsey, and uh, and Ertz had just had massive years the year prior. And I was like, I wonder what would happen if I take two of them. Like, what would the win rate be? It was like zero. Like, it didn't oh, yeah? happen. It was, it was terrible. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to figure it out for myself because I, I hadn't seen anybody take two elite tight ends. Um, and it did not work. It would like failed miserably. So, um, I love that as well. All right. Oh, Gronk's another guy. Can't forget about Gronk. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, touchdown or bust, but that's who you want. Um, if you're waiting here, love it. Um, cool. Moving over to finally the highest variance position, the wide receivers. My personal technique in an 18 round draft is I'm almost always unless there's a fire landing in the seven to nine wide receiver range um, and biased more towards the eight and nine side. Um, Yeah. I'm never going less than seven because that's another mistake that I think a lot of the field is making. If they take elite guys, they're still, or they're only taking like six. I've seen five wide receivers sometimes. Oh God. It's the highest variance position. So we want to have, we want to throw more shit at the wall and set, hopefully have a little bit more stick. You know, even even Devontae Adams, even Calvin Ridley is a perfect example from last year. He had uh, like he had six or seven. I can't remember because I pulled it up for the last podcast, but six or seven wide receiver one weeks on his own, and two of those were like wide receiver one overall, like the top score. But the other weeks, like he was half and half between wide receiver two and falling outside of wide receiver two. So like even one of the, you know, the number two wide receiver on the year was failing to put up a wide receiver two score uh, like 40% of the time. And that really, really highlights like how much variance is involved at the wide receiver position. And I think a lot of mistakes that some of the drafters are making when they're putting these together is they're simply looking at ADP and they're looking, they're like box score watchers. So they're, they're looking at the amount of points that they scored in a given week. And they're like, Oh, he scored 15 points. That's dope. Well on that week, he was wide receiver three territory at 15 points. So, um, that really doesn't matter. And that's, I I say it doesn't matter, but it, it matters far less in a best ball format where you're looking for spike week leading the position potential. Yeah. For wide receiver, really, you're just trying to find breakout guys, you know? You can miss out on those top guys and make it up by getting that breakout. Last year, Diggs was a sixth rounder. 
Country Johnson hint, hint, wink, wink is like a fifth rounder this year. Um, <laughs> I, I might have an ungodly amount by the time. I'm not going to say my ownership right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another guy actually just saw a tweet In about full it. PPR. Sorry, I'll throw an asterisk there. For me, even in half PPR is fine because he gets those deep targets too. But I just love stacking the Steelers. Any Steeler wide receiver for me is great. But yeah, PPR is smash. Um, yeah. Another guy I really love, and I just saw the greatest tweet ever was the chip on Robbie Anderson's shoulder this training camp could play left tackle. Oh, man. I love Robbie Anderson. He's like a six-pounder. <laughs> this guy, boom bust oh, always. Yeah. But he's got a floor now. This guy's... He, Robbie Anderson's doing what we thought DJ Moore was going to do last year. It's kind of crazy. They completely... Dude, that was something that JM and I highlighted throughout the season in our write-ups. Was yeah. the role the role swap between DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I did not see that coming. I don't know if anybody could see that coming. Nobody it was, saw it coming. <laughs> it was insane. But yeah, I, I have a lot of Robbie as well. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, interesting. And um, one last thing for wide receivers. I mean, we touched on wide receiver really deeply in stacking. Uh, you know, we really that's where you want to leverage there in our stacking pod to, you know, utilize those tools when you're building up wide receiver room, uh, your wide receiver room. Um, mm-hmm. So going back to, you know, like the the craziness on underdog like, there's no need to take five six right wide receivers in your first eight rounds right you want to get you know three four five depending on you know how solid are they going but you can only start realistically four each week right so if you're taking six of them you're just you're wasting two spots on the bench that can go to you know a good running back you know because the the difference between an early running back and a later running back you know steep steep fall off so and you want to be aware of that yep uh to expand on that a little bit and uh, tie into a little bit of the DFS methodology um, that I was preaching last season. Um, I forget which week it was, but I wrote up one of the game theory articles uh, and said that I was shifting to playing wide receivers in the flex position at a higher rate. Um, My reasoning for that was leveraging variance because wide receiver is a higher variance position than running back or tight end. So on a in a game where you're looking for spike weeks, where you're looking for 1% outcomes, where you're looking for uh, where did that come from lightning in a bottle, I want to give myself a better chance of catching those and where are those coming from? Where did, where are the, you know, where did that come from scores coming from? The wide receiver position. So that's why I'm biasing my the balance of my roster towards wide receivers. And that's why I'm a little bit less concerned with taking wide receivers as early as the field has shown uh, recently. So if I'm, you know, loading up on running backs early or, you know, taking a tight end in the first and then going three running backs in a row, um, I'm going to load up with high variance, high upside wide receivers. I'm going to take nine of them. I'm going to mix in some wide receiver correlation stacks, team stacks, you know, that we talked about earlier uh, or last podcast. And that's kind of how I'm managing that variance. So the thinking behind that is most weeks you would hope that the wide receiver position is filling your flex spot uh, because higher variance, higher range of outcomes, hopefully higher scores. Yeah, definitely. Unless you're going, you know, super early, then that's, you know, or just unless you're going uh, running back super early and you're building, you know, your uh, flex with, you know, three running backs right away. That's the only time you really should be having anyone but a wide receiver in your flex spot. Yeah. And the I guess the the overall mindset is we don't know 
obviously best ball you know variance yada yada we don't know uh, but you're drafting with this in mind to to capitalize on variance yeah definitely you have to be okay with being wrong that's why you know we take a portfolio view to this because you're going to be wrong on so much but you know if you cover your basis and you're managing the risk through your exposure it doesn't really matter how right or how wrong you are because you're going to be right on so many other things and you've diversified you know the key here is diversification yep 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 and portfolio management i love it um i got okay. a master's degree to be a gambler <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. i'm I, uh, i'm studying for my doctor right now uh we talked about we talked about strategies are there any strategies that we missed that you want to talk about um from a i guess not strictly like going into the draft with this in mind but like ways to be adaptive to to different draft rooms so i recommend always only doing one draft at a time so you can truly pay attention like i like yeah. to draft on my computer well when i'm actually like doing when i'm doing like a higher stakes draft i'm on my computer i have my second monitor up on you know going back and forth you know i'm i'm focused in like the puppy is a little different you know i'll do two or three of those at a time just because like those are a little fun guys you know you want to get a little crazy with this, those this little guy wouldn't worry about this little guy yeah but focus on the drafts because like you can predict runs by watching the other teams you can see what's going on you can start runs you know that's really the biggest thing is to really focus and watch the rooms you know truthfully too you can build you know it if you're using great roster construction, and I'm speaking this is for more cash games, right? Uh, you, It doesn't really almost matter what players you take in a cash game as long as your structure's right. Those big bust landmines, you should be able to generate cash flow, you know, positive cash flow from that because if you go into a cash draft, there's some really badly constructed rosters. You'll see seven running backs and one tight end. You'll see like, five, like you said, five, six wide receivers. That's like where the even more inferior competition is. And just by building a solid floor, you can really just make some great cash. Yep. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, let's see. We talked about wide receiver team correlation. We talked about the highest upside running back cuffs, how to utilize those. Um, personal habit pattern. I'm, again, like I said, I'm, I'm fading the James Whites, the, the Gio Bernards, the, you know, these pass catching guys who have interesting roles one guy that we didn't talk about that i really want to do want to cover here is boston scott i uh, saw that <laughs> in philly and he's like yeah i don't want to put too much stake into in a preseason camp whatever reports that are coming out but he seems to be getting a lot of run with philly and we've seen in the past when miles sanders got hurt Boston Scott gets some solid runs. So that might be a, a sleeper, you know, in this high upside running back cuff range where I need to up my exposure a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I actually already just went into my, my projections. I kind of bumped him up a little bit. It's not too significant, but maybe he's worth like a 20th round pick some in PPR here and there. Kenny Gaywell, I just like pretty much click clear, clear stats on. Uh, I don't think there's much for him if they're giving all the work to Boston Scott. Yeah, and... Yeah, the reps with the first team is, we can debate, you know, how pertinent that is in camp. Um, it's not going to really 
it's not going to really solidify until we get into preseason and we see who's playing with the ones like throughout the first quarter and stuff like that. But um, it's definitely something to keep in mind and something that I would look to be capitalizing earlier rather than later, because once preseason hits in these drafts, people see Boston Scott, you know, mixing in with the ones and Gainwell not doing anything. Um, then you're going to see Boston Scott start jumping from like the last round, 18 or 20th round to 15, 14, 13. Uh, we saw some of this last season, um, you know, guys who I was getting in the 18th or 20th round um, by the kickoff of, you know, the contest, they were going in the seventh, eighth, ninth. So um, those I remember are the guys... Justice Hill a couple years ago. Yeah. That's a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now's the time to, to take those shots uh, and Boston Scott is one of those guys that I think I need to up my exposure on. Yeah. Um, one tidbit too, like on upside, like how to build a super team. Don't handcuff your own running back. Yeah. Handcuff other people's running backs. That's how you build the super team. Not only is one team going to get screwed because their player's dead, you just got a beast, you know? So think about it that way. You never handcuff your own team. You handcuff other people's teams. That goes into people are more apt to manage variants. It's something that JM and I talked about ad nauseum last season was, you know, what is what makes up the psychological mindset of human beings? Like we we seek comfort, we seek the known, we wanna be in our happy comfort place. So what are people doing? What how does that translate to fantasy? People are handcuffing their own guys. Uh, you see it in season long. Even in, in managed leagues, I'll handcuff the shit out of everybody else's running backs. I won't, oh, I won't handcuff mine. like Because these are the players that they're either going to draft or they're going to be blowing their fab load on once the season starts and their starter gets injured. Exactly. So, yeah, so I love that you brought that up, dude. Um, that is high, high-level stuff. Again, you are leveraging variance as opposed to managing it. And um, at a we low, love variance. Well, yeah, <laughs> at a low, especially at the most, the, the lowest variance position. So yeah, and the, and another thing too on variance is like early in the draft you want less variance. Later in the draft, give me all the variance. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that in stacking as well. Yeah, just to reiterate that point because it's you know it's a really important point to remember. Yep. Um, we're coming to the end here, but do you look at playoff schedule when you're drafting? Do, is that a tiebreaker at all for you? Uh, not really. So two years ago, I really went deep on that. And that was the year the Texans played the Bucks. Jameis Winston got hurt. Will Fuller got hurt. Someone else was hurt. I think Evans was hurt too. And like all my teams <laughs> were dead. Uh, I remember Pete Jennings, every single one of his mega teams were done. I love that you brought that up and I love that answer and I love that you used that example because that was exactly the year that I was trying to figure out if this was a good strategy. Uh, I don't look at playoff schedule at all. I don't care. There's too much variance. There's too much shit that can happen from point A to point B. uh, Yeah, we can't predict the future. Like literally, you can't predict the future here. Exactly. So how are you managing that? You're managing your exposures in the early rounds. You're uh, mixing up different roster constructions, taking it that way as opposed to, oh, Kansas City is playing Atlanta in week whatever. Like, terrible example because whatever, AFC, NFC. But anyway, you get the point. Like, there's so much stuff that can happen between point A and point B. There's too much variance. There's all kinds of shit. There's coaching changes. There's offensive line injuries that I talked about in the article. 
Um, there's quarterback injuries. Hello, Dak Prescott, circa 2020. There, there's just too much that can happen over the course of an NFL season, even more so now that there's 17 game schedule. Uh, so I don't look at playoff schedule. I don't care. I just want to build the best possible team I can every time. Every draft for me is a new game, and I'm trying to make the best team I can. I don't care about, you know, any, like, strategy or, you know, playoff or whatever, like you're saying. Like, I just want to build the best team, you know? Love it. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. We're coming up on an hour and 15 minutes, but I, I think we're, we're doing all right, honestly. Um, oh, I expected it to but... get even longer. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good, actually. Last thing I want to talk about, when you're gauging a room, when you're following a draft because you're so focused on one draft at a time, are you ever sniping somebody else's stack? Are you ever like, oh, that guy's got Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. I'm going to take Dak here. Are you ever doing that? Does does it matter to you? I'm not going to do it intentionally. I'm not going to be like, oh, fuck this guy. But let's say like Dak fell eight spots past ADP. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take you at, you know, a discount because you're an elite quarterback. So I, I don't follow other people's teams. Like I'm looking at like my competitors to the left and right to me to know what are they going to draft so I can plan. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going out of my way to like mess with someone's team. And I feel like that's kind of just like bad form, I guess. And it's making a draft mistake. You're making a mistake or you can be making a mistake yeah, by truth. trying to like, oh, does it fit your roster? Yeah, exactly. Like, you, there's so many opportunities to make a mistake. I'm looking, when I'm drafting, I'm looking at the roster's two, three picks around me because I'm yeah. trying to gauge, you know, what could fall to me at the turn. What are these guys most likely to do? You know, that's never a, a 100% science, but that's it, it helps get an idea of, you know, if you're in drafting in the 11 spot and you really, your roster needs a running back and a wide receiver at this point, you've got a running back and a wide receiver on the board that you want to take. I'm looking at the 12 spot and be like, hey, what is this guy most likely to do here? If he's loaded up on running backs, I'm going to take the wide receiver and hope that the running back falls to me at the turn. Uh, stuff like that. There is, there's no reason to be trying to snipe other people's stacks because those other people who are trying to fight to get stacks, they're going to make other mistakes. There's going to be, they're probably hampering their team to make that stack in most cases. (laughs) Exactly. So they're let try and have the best draft that you can have and let the other people make mistakes. Our job is to try and minimize our mistakes through everything that we've talked about and try and create the best individual roster that we can and let the other people fall on their own sword. They will, they'll hang themselves. It'll, you'll see, you'll be able to leave a draft and see, oh, these four rosters are dead. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna win, but those four are out. So now I'm playing against eight people. Yeah, all the time. I, there is one situation kind of where I do kind of set people up. There's like a specific tier on underdog now where it's like the Michael Gallup, LaVisca Chenault, Mike Williams, Juju Smith-Schuster tier. What do mm-hmm. all those guys have in common? They're all seventh round by, right? Mm-hmm. And even in the early parts of the draft, Keenan Allen, CD Lamb are seventh round by. So like you can kind of fall fall into a trap of that seventh round by. So I had a situation where I was like the two spot and the one spot had taken CD Lamb and Keenan Allen. And that was there as only two running quarterback or wide receivers because they took running backs later. And then we fell to that tier. And was, I had Tyler Boyd with those guys. 
So I just took Tyler Boyd and forced him to take two seventh round running wide receivers. That doesn't really help his you know structure there. And then I can take the whatever guy falls and is left behind because you know to me it doesn't really matter. And I just kind of screwed him, and now he has to like make up a big bye week. Or that guy doesn't take one of those round um, seven week by and you oh get... he did <laughs> uh, cool 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 <laughs> yeah but you, yeah. you kind of try to set people up to make mistakes like that that leads us into the last thing that I want to cover on this pod we've uh, we've unpacked a lot here and it might take people a couple of times already to listening through this to to grasp the concepts that we're covering here but bye weeks some of the contests uh, have. 13 weeks regular season and then week 14 is the first week of the playoffs obviously with the expanded season now we have bye weeks that are into week 14 we also have heavy bye weeks uh in weeks 7 11 is another one uh with heavy bye weeks what are the other ones i think yeah 10 and 11 so um most of the bye weeks only have four teams on bye and they do that uh specifically for a reason but there are these spike by week weeks you know one of them obviously week seven is one of the big ones week 10 week 11 and then you're talking about these week 14 buys how are you managing that on you know one the the contests that have 13 week regular season how are you managing week 14 buys there at what point and then i guess at what point when you're drafting a team do you start getting nervous about by weeks during the draft so for the week 14 by, I kind of try to avoid those guys unless they like fall significantly. So let's say if like I've already filled out my starting roster and Will Fuller fell, then I'll take him because, you know, that's fine. He can help you during the regular season, but I'm going to be okay, hopefully, during the during the playoffs. Um, I try to make sure that I'm covering all my buys. I don't want to leak any points. I believe that, you know, you should be getting, even if it's, you know, five points from a wide receiver eight, like that's... The chances of, you know, when it comes to the end to, you know, moving on to the playoffs, especially if we have some overlay, it could be that five points is the reason why you move on to the tournament and not. Because some good teams missed the tournament because, you know, they didn't do some, you know, watch their bye weeks or they had an injury. And, you know, if you cover all those bye weeks, you, you can seriously make a team because of that. Yeah, I call it bye week triage, trying to patch the holes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that is, it's, it's definitely important because every point matters. Like we talked about in best ball. Um, my stance on the week 14 thing, I actually go the other way with it. Um, the reason being teams that make the playoffs that make week 14 are less likely to advance to week 15. So if you squeak a team in with, week 14 by players and this is obviously assuming that like the, the perfect example was last year when cmc had a week 13 by and um it was the first week of the playoffs obviously cmc got hurt he missed everything but um the rest of the panthers as well you know they had week 13 buys and people were shooting them down their draft boards and you know moving them an entire tier because they had week 13 buys I went the opposite way with it. I went heavy on those guys because I, my thinking, and this is entirely rooted in game theory, is that there were less likely, or there were, it was more likely that less teams with those players would advance to week 14 or the second round of the playoffs. So, I think of it. I really, I really like that actually. Yeah. So if I had 
you know, if I squeak teams through, now I've got, you know, CMC, obviously, yes, he got hurt, but now I have CMC where there are less, there percentage wise was going to be less teams through with CMC. Yeah, I like that a lot. And the way that you, the way that you manage that, again, you're just doing the bi-week triage. So building a roster with that in mind that like, hey, if this roster advances, I'm going to need some help in week 14 this year. Um, and you're, you're plugging those holes in whatever way you can. So that's my two cents game theory rooted, uh, but that's kind of how I'm attacking it as well. Again, that just increases variance for me. Yeah. All right, I, uh, dude. I, I'm like, I feel like we were able to really get a lot out. I'm almost running out of tidbits to throw out now. <laughs> yeah, I love it, dude. I'm glad I made that coffee. Thanks for giving me an extra five minutes there. I'm making coffee at 9 p.m. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I was going to say, you do good luck sleeping. Yeah, I don't sleep anyway. So USA is playing Australia right now in the Olympics, so you can stay up for that. There you go. Perfect. Well, dude, I think that's going to do it. We are going to convene one more time as part of this Best Boss series before the man, the myth, the legend, JM, returns from vacation. And it will be JM and myself moving forward. That said, we're going to bring in Pavel where we can, where it makes sense. Uh, Three-person pods are a little bit tougher to navigate, but we're going to do our best. But we definitely want to get Pavel back in here. Uh, That said, one more with you, big dog, uh, covering some more best ball theory. Uh, and again, uh, we should get podcasts coming out about four a week through August. So stoked to keep doing these, stoked to keep passing on uh, what knowledge I can. And I will see you next time. Yeah, All man, right. can't wait. All right, brother. We'll see you. Take it easy. Bye.